0: Before we get started, a quick word about our no ads subscriptions. We're not supported by anyone but you. We don't get Zuckerbucks. We put a lot of effort and money into building a global company, all the way from Ukraine to Taiwan. We bring reporters from around the world, the best news you will find anywhere. So please support us with our no ads subscriptions. Go to the top right of any of our sites, and it'll, and it'll say, subscribe with no ads. There you'll find, for 10 bucks a month, access to all of our sites with no pop-up ads on your phone. People love it. So please support us. We need your help. We really do. It's expensive what we're doing. And we need to grow to save the republic. And we can't grow without support. So thank you very much. Welcome back to Pacific SITREP. So at CDM, we try to bring you an Armed Forces Press AFP. We try to bring you uh, information you won't get anywhere else. So today, our co-host, Colonel John Mills, is back from his trip to Panama. So welcome back, sir. Todd,
1: thank you. It's an honor to be back with you. Last time I was in Panama when we talked.
0: Right, right. And so you've got some stuff to talk about. Tell us what's going on down there with with Panama and the Chinese and the canal. Well,
1: thank you. I might have brought some crud back with me. I don't think I'm contagious. But when uh, Michael Jan and Ann Vandersteel contacted me and let, let me know they were going to be down there, I said, uh, this is wonderful. I'd really like to know and study and fact find about what's going on with the canal. So I, so about five basic findings on what's what's going on down there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, immediately uh, uh, first and foremost, Panama is being overwhelmed by this, mass illegal migration through the Darien Gap. Uh, and they're, they're coming in at about three to 5,000 a day is, is uh, the number that my, yeah. Michael's. Yeah, that's, well, every thousand, that's 23 buses heading north, but not everybody heads north. <clears throat> and just even a fracture that stay in Panama, it, it crushes Panama. They are paying, paying for this mostly out of pocket. Mm. Um, and uh, there's a UN presence that is very disturbing. And I'll get to that in a moment. <coughs> but this is really bad. The Chinese influence activities are uh, um, just omnipresent. And they, uh, they are building roads. They are building infrastructure there's a lot of high rises. As soon as I came in from the airport, I was going, Whoa, this looks like, uh, this looks like Singapore. But my expert guide said, well, actually a lot of those tall high rises that may look wonderful, very low occupancy rate. And it's really a lot Mm -hmm. of it is money laundering, money laundering. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is related to China, but also other places like Russia and, and just yeah. international international money laundering.
0: Great you know, way to cas- put money in a large building and
1: wash it away. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. a, a friend told me, I don't know this personally, uh, the best way to always uh, launder is always real estate and casinos, real estate and casinos. And mm-hmm. guess what? There's also a lot of casinos in uh, Panama. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So um, the next thing is um, the uh, Panama wants America. There is this gross misunderstanding of the handover treaty. And a lot of it, I really blame uh, uh, on U.S. State Department. Of course. Because, because <laughs> after after the invasion to remove noriega and people you know that's what that that's where it really begins to the story begins to get very confused because state department <clears throat> just says just presumes oh because of the invasion they don't want us there uh that's absolutely false noriega was not popular in panama he was a murderous thug mm-hmm. We actually visited some of the prisons that you know some of the death camps that he ran thousands and thousands of uh, panamanians disappeared in noriega there is very little love lost for noriega yeah but but after the invasion yes there were some heavy handedness. yes there were some buildings as you look down from corey heights (coughs) uh, uh, where yes we we did level some buildings and and there were some uh there was some uh, uh, additional casualties. Okay, that's why war should be uh, war is bad, and war should be uh, uh, limited as much as possible. But overall, mm-hmm. the Panamanians love us. And just in the nineties, Clinton got distracted by many things, and we walked away, created a vacuum.
2: And who entered?
1: It. Yeah, who, who entered that vacuum? China,
0: mm-hmm. China,
1: and Panama is our front yard. People say it's our backyard. No, it's our front yard. And if we're not going to take care of take care of our front yard, somebody's going to move in, just like the all the way man.
0: back to Monroe Doctrine and everything. It's all
1: there. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the next thing is the failure of the US ambassador, Ambassador Ponte. <coughs> I'm sorry, I had to do a little bit of crud. The uh yes, we'll forgive you. Thank thank you. Um, she's okay. She, you know, just by her bio, definitely left of center. Okay, I'll forgive her for that. But Mm -hmm. clearly, um, her priorities are transgenderism. Okay, Mm -hmm. this is what I I learned in Bosnia when I did my my first tour in Bosnia. USAID would always talk about women's reproductive rights. This is right after people just got done shooting each other in the head, blowing up up each other's houses, and cutting each other up and making sausage. And I'm not making that one up, making sausage, sausage out of each other and but they always said women's rep- women's health rights i go well yeah i'm for women's health rights what is that but after you after you talk to them for about an hour it's not women's health rights it's abortion of course that it is. is it's all about abortion so right here it's this cult of transgenderism the people of panama need infrastructure badly they need a sewage system their sewage dumps straight into the ocean they don't have a sewage system they don't have many bridges. The Bridge of America is badly needs replacing. Um, the uh, <clears throat> they actually don't have a true postal system. They don't have they don't have a postal address system. They they need they need help, but they don't need lecturing. And uh, the U.S. ambassador is on the wrong topic, wrong issue, and Panamanians are offended by this. And then finally, America really needs to return. Really needs. We can't just block China. <clears throat> we need to get American companies down there. What happened to Bechtel? What happened to Parsons? What happened to Jacobs? What happened to AECOM? Where are these companies at? Who told them that mm-hmm. they were to disappear off the face of the earth? The uh, you know, we have to give the government can guarantee loans, uh, the US government can guarantee loans, and we we have processes in place to make sure this is not a uh student loan bailout program. Um, and, and, and let's get down there and return with some flash and pizzazz. Panama wants to be close to America now. And being a DOD guy, I'm always, yeah, we're going to return and we're going to reopen Howard air force base. And we're going to reopen, uh, you know, uh, Rodman Naval station and Cologne and all these things. And I go just, They don't want to see an overt military presence, but things such as humanitarian affairs, civil affairs, civil affairs units would be perfect to help do all the site surveys with uh, functional governance. That's perfect mission for civil affairs. And I think the only service that doesn't have a civil affairs, I mean, the army, Marines, Navy, all have civil affairs units. Um, I don't think the air force has civil affairs units. but this is a perfect job for civil affairs units is to go down there and do this kind of work and it's a very light touch and this would return a dod presence but in a soft compassionate way that the people of panama would really appreciate so yeah we the problem there is a technical issue that is a crisis with the panama canal right now it is water levels the Panamanians redid the locks, which badly needed updating and expansion because the old 106 foot standard uh, width was just tiny. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's now up to about 142, 150, 160, somewhere around, but it's much wider, much longer, much deeper. Mm -hmm. World economics was based 15 years ago upon the decision by many players in the supply chain to move to what are called 20 super Panama ships 20,000 container and above ships, those need a 50 foot draft mm-hmm. <clears throat> with the water shortage, what the Panama Canal is all about is all about water management. The the larger locks, the deeper draft required for the transits, they simply are running out of the normal water and there's, 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 you know, the El Nino wet seasons, uh, and dry seasons. Um, and, um, they're, they're in a dry, they you know, those last anywhere from seven to 10 years. They're, they're, they're at the end of one of the dry seasons, but if they don't have a miraculous rainfall in October, November, December, they are really, they're already having to limit ships to 42 feet draft, Hmm. which those super panama ships a lot of those were 50 foot drafts that is a that is a lot they had to do a lot of dredging yeah <laughs> but they still don't have uh the depth they're having a limit so that means a super container ship comes in has to offload at the chinese port on one end the, the chinese don't own the, the canal they own the ports on each end and they mm-hmm. own a lot, of le- a lot of a lot of legislators in the National Assembly, but that's that's the issue. So they they have they have uh, corrupt members of the National Assembly. You know, Goldbar Menendez. We have our own. Okay. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> so the big should, guy. Yeah, the, yeah, the big guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which now is his brother. Now it's being revealed the FBI was sitting on his brother's uh, testimony that yeah he they were out getting the contracts from China. Mm-hmm. But but these ships have to come in and offload some containers to make themselves lighter, to raise their, uh, you know, make their draft shallower. And then they go to the other side and then they reload. And it's just like, wow, that is super inefficient and expensive and time uh, Yeah. So we got a we had a water crisis. And part of that <clears throat> return to Panama is the US Army Corps of Engineers is down there in some mode but it's kind of funny mm-hmm. i was talking i found in public reporting that the army corps of engineers is under contract to provide technical oversight not actually do the water management but provide technical expertise hmm. some of the panama some of the members of the panama canal uh uh uh, uh Uh, didn't even realize that and you know it's like oh that's interesting well i found that in public reporting and and some of the people who work down there didn't even realize that i mean i don't know what's going on maybe they're really hush hush about this but i did find it in public reporting but the army corps of engineers is a trusted uh expert in this area there's talk that they've come to agreement to build a second dam and reservoir but that's they haven't turned. They haven't started uh, uh, turning, uh, you know, turning dirt yet on this. Uh, so this is five to ten years in the future. They need that water now, and then I'm also very concerned that our Chinese cyber capabilities uh, just leaving that spigot on a little more to let a little extra water because every time you you do the locks, you flush fresh water, which is also needed for drinking. That is their primary source of drinking water. Is the Lake Gatun, mm-hmm. Gatun Lake. Every time you do those locks, it flushes a huge amount of uh, water out into the uh, uh, fresh water out. So are the Chinese playing
0: with this? Don't know. Hmm. Very interesting, Colonel. Anything else our audience needs to know about uh, as far as uh, happenings with the Chinese in that theater? (laughs) Yeah, we we need a much better proactive uh,
1: presence uh, to really counter Chinese influence and not just chase, not just stiff arm because we stopped one big brick brick project. okay, great.
0: Now bring in American companies to do the work. I don't think that's going to change until we get a new administration, but um, probably not. Anyway, thank you for your time and we'll see you next week. Okay. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Always an honor. Before we get started, a quick message on how to protect your family. We all know the next big one is coming. They're masking everybody up and they just approved the new vaccines, testing them only on 20 mice. Yes, it's a joke, literally. The medical establishment is not to be trusted until things change. So how do you protect your family? If you go to twc.health forward slash CDM, you can see their new emergency medical kit. It has a group of medications that will protect your family in most emergencies medically. Anything from a tick bite to a, the new COVID to bubonic plague and other things like that. So go to twc.health forward slash CDM, use promo code CDM, and you'll get a 10% discount. The kit basically covers one adult, so you may need to buy more. twc.health forward slash CDM. Thank you. So we are back on Pacific SITREP with one of our most interesting guests. Commander Salamander has a long history uh, and that's a pseudonym, but he has a long history in naval operations. Uh,
2: welcome, sir, back to the show. Well, thank you very much for the invite. I guess I didn't disappoint too much the first time around, but it's great to be with you, Todd. Well, we we always love robust
0: discussions, so we've been talking a little bit prior to the show here, uh, and let's start off with the Chinese economy, and then I want to shift to uh, Eastern Europe. But So, um, you know, I have a Wall Street background, and, and I tend to believe, as you mentioned, that China's economy is much weaker than we understand and that there are threats to the regime
2: inside. What are your thoughts on that? I think, I think that's spot on. There's the first problem. Having a Wall Street background, you know this. It's um, anything involving the economics, you need to have good metrics. You need to have a good data set. You need to have some, re- uh, some reliability and the ability to audit what you're receiving And nobody really has that uh, in mainland China. I think that's why you see really smart people, people who I I think are trying to figure it out. They'll go the entire spectrum of uh, the People's Republic of China is in the middle of an economic collapse to China is going to continue to grow at six to seven percent in for the next decade to somewhere in the juicy middle where people are going, oh, they're having some challenge, but they're, they're getting by. But I think it's, it's, it's critical to understand what's driving things. Is they And you have to give them credit for what they've done in the last 30 years to bring that country up to the position that it's in. But also the fact that command economies and economies that don't allow the free flow of capital and ideas do not, in the long term, sustained themselves very well. The Soviet Union had a tremendous period of growth from about 1935 to 1975, but ultimately wasn't sustainable because of the the contradictions and inefficiencies that come into play. And I think there's lots of indications that that is what's happening on the mainland of China, which folded into the, the thing that nobody living and really nobody in written memory is experienced is the demographic collapse that's happening in East Asia. Some people might be familiar with, with some of the issues in Western Europe, but that's nothing to co- compare to what we're seeing in East Asia. And the only data we have that is good and reliable is coming from Japan, and Japan has had mm-hmm. to deal with this, but Japan has an open society, they have a very high-tech society the very urban society, um, a very cohesive society. Uh, the the People's Republic of China. You know that's why I like to refer, refer to the uh, as the PRC, vice just China itself, because uh, in the PRC, you know, Han Chinese that is their ethnic group, but it's a multi-ethnic country. Uh, it really is. Um, a quasi-empire in and it to itself, whereas Japan has uh, a lot of advantages in the fact that it's a relatively homogeneous, high-tech, open society with democratic structures that has been able to adjust pretty well in the last few years. They've they've had a, a very tough time the last um, 15, 20 years or so. But you can see where they've managed to maintain their societal cohesion, their... Um, relative economic prosperity because in the systems that that we have and the Democratic West or west adjacent which I think you can define Japan as that parliamentary democracies uh, constitutional monarchies whatever uh, they can take and flex and adjust to these stresses the People's Republic of China they're going they're going through that the same amount of stresses but they don't have the type of of structures of civil society that I think will give them the flex to be able to respond well. So maybe they'll do great and we can continue like we've been doing since the end of the Cold War where it's all about economics and capital and uh, levels of debt and things like that. But I I don't think we're going to be that lucky. I don't know what direction it's going to be. The only thing I do know is... uh, People who are really sure of what's going on in China—they're uh, either fooling themselves or they're trying to fool you. One of the two. Just the data's not there. Yeah.
0: Well, they—they've um, shuffled the deck with the military leadership, which tends to, you know, look like some kind of purge to to consolidate, you know,
2: Xi's power. Um, do you feel that way? Yeah. Exactly. Because the only real threat to an authoritarian regime is uh, other people who have access to the levers of power that has to do with people, loyalty, uh, and the threat or application of violence. And uh, the Communist Party of China wants to maintain a stranglehold on that. They've been pretty good and have a good history of keeping their military in a box. But when a nation goes under great stress, uh, there, If the if chairman, Xi feels that his generalship are developing too much personal uh, power, then he's going to clear those off before they, they grow in any respect, because that's really the only thing that can uh, now, I think, threaten the uh, power of the Chinese Communist Party. I think there was a window maybe 10 years ago where some of their um, like. Uh, like Ma, some of their economic billionaires who are accumulating power centers of their own through money and finance. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Chinese Communist a, Party really yeah. cracked down on them. You probably know this in better detail than I do. So they don't quite have the money and the influence. And I mean, we were talking uh, on a, about a different country earlier that maybe we'll touch about, about corruption. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's also a problem with corruption in China. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think in some ways they're using that... As a selective enforcement tool where they know if everybody has a little bit of corruption and if you need to get somebody out of the way, then you do a corruption investigation of them and you will find something. And we've seen them do that uh, a bit as well. I also believe that there are some people who think that an economically weak and chaotic PRC is uh, advantageous. I think that's... uh, an unsafe thing to say. Instability uh, brings about a lack of control. Uh, sometimes that lack of control internalize itself. Sometimes it can externalize itself. And China has, mm-hmm. is not like the United States. If we have uh, lots of instability and chaos. Uh, we don't have too much to worry about uh, with our friends in Canada and our quasi friends in Mexico beside them laughing at us and making snide comments. While China on their borders have, you know, Russia, India, Vietnam, and uh, other nations, none of which are what you would define as being friendly. And almost all of which have some type of uh, official or unofficial border or ethnic dispute. So there's there's always that danger that they could easily click over their borders, if their internal chaos externalizes itself, and then, you know, who who knows what the other four or five moves on the chessboard are from there? Yeah, I think
0: you're right. Uh, with respect to Mexico, I, I agree with you with the Mexican government, but I I would put to the audience that we don't have a southern border at this moment. It's controlled by the
2: cartels, which is a highly dangerous national security issue <clears throat> in itself. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm in full alignment with you there. There is. Um, that besides, I think maybe uh, whatever the state Monterrey is, Monterrey is uh, most of the northern border areas of Mexico is no land even for the Mexican government. Yeah, uh, which is which is which has always been a shame. I one of the things that uh, as a young man that, that caught my attention. If you've ever read the. Uh, uh, General slash President Grant's, lack of a better phrase, autobiography, his book. Yeah. He talks about his experience in Mexico during the Mexican-American War, and it echoes through every period. Mexico is a, a nation like ours that is blessed with tremendous resources, a great climate, hardworking people, but they've never had good governments. They've always been struggled with lawlessness. Yes. Uh, lack of rule of law uh corruption it's just it's just a just a shame but you're you're exactly right yeah the southern border it's not so much a threat from the Mexican government but uh, all you have to do is look at how many people have died of, of fentanyl all over those the last decade yeah. and that tells you we do have a, 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 a the, the cartels are waging a war against us uh, with money that we pay them through our own drug problems I would posit that
0: the our current administration is involved in that war against us with them, but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> so um, before we talked, um, we we disagree on another subject, and I'll lay out my point and you tell me why I'm wrong. Um, in Eastern Europe, I spent a lot of time there. I used to write for papers in Ukraine. I understand the situation. Uh, I've been to Mariupol. I've been to the border, uh, the, the, you know, to Donbass on, on the front lines. I was there during the invasion um, and ended up, escaping across the moldovan border on foot long story but i know the ukrainian government i i don't think they're working for the ukrainian people i think they're captured by the u.s national security establishment which is very corrupt there and i think that uh you know russia was never a threat conventionally of course their nuclear weapons are a serious existential threat to the u.s but conventionally look at what they're doing in donbass they're even having a problem you know, winning that conflict. So how can they run over Europe? So in my opinion, NATO's encroachment started this war and that we wanted this war. You know, the argument that uh, we're going to weaken Russia's forces, well, at the expense of what, you know, a couple hundred thousand Ukrainians dead. The suffering is massive. And I think the war needs to end yesterday. So I'll turn it over to you and you tell me why I'm wrong.
2: Well, I don't know if you're you're wrong per se in the fact you just, you have a different different view of things and i think unfortunately and we talked about a little bit Mm -hmm. in the run-up here Mm -hmm. um, on both sides of the argument there are some people that assume the worst of others i think Mm well-meaning people can can disagree on this topic and we do um and i I always reserve the right to be wrong and i also reserve the right to assume that people who disagree they, they just disagree with me they're not bad people um, you know, yeah, we we want to have good discussions here on the show, yeah. so that's why I yeah. wanted you. To to. Well, here, here's my take is, um, and a lot of this just comes to how I view a lot of things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll do a right, right brain, left brain type of thing. First of all, um, there is the, the issue of self government of mm-hmm. the Ukrainian people. Uh, Khrushchev didn't do anybody any good with how he drew the lines after World War II. But um, there was an agreement after the fall of the Soviet Union where Ukraine was given security agreements for their borders for giving up a huge stockpile of nuclear weapons that they Mm -hmm. had left over. Um, In 2013, that was violated by the Russians. when they took Ukraine and parts of the Donbass. And you could say, yes, it was the ethnic uh, Russians who rose up, et cetera, et cetera. But it was Russian Russian steel and Russian forces that took and held it. Uh, that broke that agreement. And after 2014, I will grant you, uh, the U.S. and uh, NATO allies and some non-NATO allies had gone in and they tried to get the ukrainian government the ability to better defend themselves Uh, well they they, over they overthrew the current elected government you know the i i actually had no no problem with that uh i come from a long line of failed revolutionaries (laughs) going back to the jacobite rebellions Uh, that happens in all societies you have a winning side and you have a losing side i think where the outgoing president wound up tells you where his loyalties are and ukraine and, I've, and yeah. I've, I've said this from day one when i started writing about ukraine even after the invasion i bring it up on occasion outside of military threat the number one threat to ukraine being a viable a viable country is corruption um, uh, no society can prosper, kind of what we were talking about a bit with China. Um, no no society can, can prosper well, whether it's China, Mexico, or Ukraine, if it has such embedded uh, corruption problems. You know, That's one problem to solve, but that that's a crocodile that, that's following the canoe, but it's no longer the crocodile closest to the canoe. If you want to have uh, a nation, uh, you have to have funny how the same issues come up. You have to have secure borders. You have to have internationally recognized borders. You have to have something that's economically viable. If Ukraine does not have access to the Black Sea to be able to get out her um, minus her limited but not insubstantial uh, hydrocarbon access, which is mostly in the parts that Russia has occupied, they have to have access to the Black Sea. It was clear what the Russians were mm-hmm. trying to do. They were going to try to make the run to, all the way to Moldova, take
0: sure. all
2: of the um, uh, all of the land, Imperial Russia, took from the Ottomans, the borders on the Black Sea, and probably negotiate with Ukraine to let them be the, uh, a rough state with what was mostly Uh, Austro-Hungarian Galicia and uh, some of the remains of the uh, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth that wasn't shifted further east. A little rump state. uh, A really poor Belarusian. But um, once once you're engaged in something, um, it kind of develops something, I mean a war, it kind of develops its own logic. And here we are A few months away from this war going on for two years and i even uh said on my own podcast in december of 21 or january of 22 anyway a couple months before the invasion that Mm -hmm. all these tensions that still derive from the 2013 uh, taking of the crimea and other places by by russia that the smartest thing to do would be to find some way to negotiate in ukraine You know, maybe give the Russians Crimea for an exchange for peace that might. But that's not an option right now. It really, in my opinion, it's become an existential fight for um, national sovereignty from the Ukrainians. And they will either be able to succeed or or they'll fail. I will say this, though. um, They cannot succeed without Western military assistance. And if you talk about national moral obligations, the US and the UK were signatories to the Minsk agreement at the end of the Cold War. Um, What rest of Western Europe will or will not do, I don't know, but we have been supplying them for uh, longer than the last two years really and we're kind of reaching a point now that you know in 19 in 1940, late 40, should we have stopped giving arms to the British? I'm sure people wanted to do that, but you know by by that time we had been doing lend-lease and we're pretty far into it. Um, I think there is a question of your moral culpability if you are helping somebody fight, and then before you've reached. A, a critical inflection point for either defeat or victory. If you remove that support, knowing very well what that will result in, then you own that too. And if I don't, I don't think under Let the me jump in there. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I would, I would say that um,
0: the war is lost. That the level of losses on the Ukrainian side are so massive that. They're down to about 20 million people in the country. Half of those are old people. The war cannot be won unless NATO forces get involved, which I think will be a massive, massive mistake. Zelensky could have agreed to the, could have followed through with the Minsk agreements. He didn't, he campaigned on it, and then he flipped and went the other way to get the war started. And uh, I just think we've lost all moral authority there. I mean, we. Our, our leaders are corrupt. Our president is involved in laundering money there, as we speak. Um, and if you know anything about Russian history, approaching their borders and putting bio labs in country and, and talking about joining NATO, of course the Russians
2: are going to react. I'll let I'll turn it over to you. Well, you you need to, we all need to try to as best as we can. I think uh, appreciate from the Russian perspective, uh, and I russia is russia it's not a western nation it's western adjacent mm-hmm. um, it's their own thing they're not an eastern nation they're not a central asian nation though they have the influence they're kind of a, a nice little mix of their own thing uh they have uh geog where as the us we are blessed by beautiful geography we've got these two oceans on either side we have mm-hmm. nations to the north and south of us that are relatively benign um uh, we've you know, lost. We've lost two wars against Canada, and we won one war against Mexico. But that was all uh, over a, well over a century ago. Um, mm-hmm. Russia doesn't have Russia doesn't have that luxury. They're they are surrounded by invasion routes, and uh, mm-hmm. a couple of those invasion routes go right through Ukraine. And if you're an insecure nation whose entire history has been one of subjugation, blood, and violence. You're not going to easily give up the route for other people, whether it's next year or next century, to come rolling in. Um, and the Imperial Russia fought the Ottomans very hard to get that part of the Black Sea coast. Um, it's, uh, I think, at one point, is even called New Russia. The uh, where the fighting is taking place right now, at the very southern part of it, going through Kyrgyzstan up to Odessa. Uh, before the war, and you know this better than I do, um, Odessa was, is, and might in the future, who knows, be a Russian city. Uh, full stop. But it just happened to be yep. in, in it's Ukraine. probably going to. And and the, you know, the, the president, you know, President Zelensky in Ukraine right now, Russia is, is his native tongue. He's never spoken Ukrainian well, from what I understand. Um, so it's it's a very, very complicated history. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that.
0: Well, um, I guess we'll agree to disagree. I, I find it just, uh, I don't want World War III, and I think we're well on our way there if we don't stop this thing. I don't think there's, I think it, it's best to end the bleeding. Uh, you know, we, we promised Russia that we wouldn't expand NATO, and we went 1,000 miles eastward. Yeah, in multiple uh, 20-something countries, so I tell you know I'm not a Putin fan. I, I I know what he's done to the Russian middle class. I know what he's done to the to the uh, you know it's an oligarchy, it's a kleptocracy, and but I tell people you you can't you don't have to disagree with Russia, but you need to understand it. I'm sorry for the noise. I'm outside here. That's but, okay. Um, anyway, uh, I I just find the mess we're in um, completely. Uh, historically very very dangerous and it needs to end before a lot of american men and women die.
2: But um, and I'll give you the last word. Well, and when we look at when we look at Ukraine itself and how bloody that battle can be, I always try to remind people that and when the US Civil War kicked off, uh, US mm-hmm. had a population of about 31 to 32 million. We lost 700,000 mm-hmm. men. North and South combined yep. in that civil war. These civil wars are ugly, um, but I think one of the interesting interplays about, because we've talked about two things, we've talked about the People's Republic of China, we talked about Ukraine and an ongoing conversation that we're having right here. And I think there are, again, well-meaning people on both sides and there are not well-meaning people <laughs> arguing both sides, but there is a question about um, if we are serious about, a potential war in Taiwan, Mm -hmm. which, you know, Taiwan, I think, is important to understand. It's got a population of about a million more people than the state of Florida. We're talking, I think, 23 million people. Florida has 22 million. It's about the size of the state of Maryland if you squished all the water out of it. Somewhere between Switzerland and Moldova is the size of Taiwan. Um, But they say if we're really serious about that, how can we also help Supply the Ukrainians, um, and that—that's a good question because it takes a lot of money. Our European allies are not their their defense industry. Even if the Germans were motivated to do something, they have so decimated their industrial capacity uh, and, and the ability to generate enough energy. Yeah, to support an expanded one over the course of the last decade, uh, there is very limited things that they can do. I think that's an argument that we're going to see more and more of. Um, I would just encourage everybody to ask people to do their homework, uh, uh, to show their work, excuse me. Uh, sure. Okay, what, ex- what exactly are you talking about? How much money are you talking about? Uh, but I think that is a good argument to have, mostly because at the end of the day, it brings us back to the argument, do we, are we really spending enough on our own national defense? And if you're really serious about uh, that argument, you need to look at the Pacific. It's a maritime and an aerospace theater. When you look at the condition of our Navy and our Air Force, uh, that's sobering, sobering. very sobering.
0: Well, sir, thank you. I appreciate the robust discussion, and it's good to air both sides. And hopefully we can do it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care.